No, 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 no. But you can give a round of applause to Becca Galander. I think that's the first time I've said your, your last name properly in a while, so I'm proud of myself. <laughs> Y'all, I haven't preached in, uh, it's like been a month, so um, I am excited to be back in the pulpit again. In fact, I think if I went five straight weeks without preaching, there's some mechanism that kicks in where I get fired automatically, so this is good that I'm doing it today. Um, I do want to start off, and can we raise the lights a little bit in here? Because I can't see anybody, or maybe it's just because these are so bright. I want to see people and their uh, body language. <laughs> it's like, what am I? Yeah, I want to get, get your feedback. You, even, if it's ba- even if you fall asleep, I need to know that so I can be like, all right, I need to move on from this point. So, um, uh, to start off with, uh, Carrie did say this, the, uh, the letter that is going to be posted on the link tree, if you try to find that tonight, you won't be able to because I need to convert it, uh, the file, to get it onto our link tree. So I'll do that tomorrow. You can have access to that tomorrow if you want to check it out. But then the other thing, uh, yeah, it, it'll be on the link tree up here with everything else that's going on. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say, though, is this. Uh, on Friday, the highest court in the land... Um, made a decision overturning Roe v. Wade and saying that protecting the life of the unborn matters. And honestly, I didn't ever think I'd see that in my lifetime. And yet I know many of you in here have been praying and begging the Lord to to make that change for decades now. And the Lord answered that prayer. And, uh, you know, my understanding of it is what this does is it it sends the decisions about abortions back to state legislators that will then make laws if they don't already have them about them. So, I mean, it's going to vary from state to state. And yet, what it means is that in this cultural moment we're in where all of society is very concerned about giving rights to the oppressed and the marginalized and the voiceless, The Supreme Court said it matters to us that we give rights to the most voiceless of all, the unborn. That's a good thing. There's still a lot, obviously, that we can be praying about. Even the the state we live in, California, uh, abortion's not going to end in California. And in fact, if anything, this decision will make efforts in in our state ramp up even more to make it more accessible. And it reminds us that really what we're fighting for and praying for is revival and that our entire society would be cut to the heart to have a passion to protect the life of the least of these. All of a sudden, my microphone went really echoey. And my prayer and my hope, and I pray that you'll pray with me too, is that all of our society would begin to see the unborn as they actually are and that our human beings made in the image of God deserving of the same rights and protections that we have. May God do that and may it not just be a legal matter but one that we feel from the heart. So I, I want to pray for that to get started If you would, join me. Lord, I I know that 
this weekend has been one of unrest. There's been protests, there's been violence, there's been people that have been rejoicing this decision and people that are incredibly angry about this decision. Lord, we, we as a church, we stand in the place of believing that you form us in our mother's womb, that you make us in the image of God e even when we're babies in utero. And we pray that more and more the world would come to see life in that same way. And that they would prize and give sanctity to life in the way that you do. And so even though, Lord, there's days ahead with much unrest and protest and angry words, we pray that you would be working even through this, God, to bring our society and our world into a place that doesn't discard the lives of those that are most, most vulnerable, but fights for them. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's take a look at the text. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 18. You've been standing, sitting, standing, sitting. We're going to do it a couple more times. Get your workout in. So if you would, stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. And follow along, if you would, with me as I read for us out loud this portion of God's word. It says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Lord, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts as we hear the word would be pleasing in your sight. We pray it in the name of Jesus and in his name alone. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. I would promise you that that's the last time you have to stand, but I'm going to ask you to stand later on for some other reasons too. So, you know, just getting your workout in. It's all good. So I told you all that it's been uh, roughly a month since I've preached, and that means it's been roughly a month since we've been in Romans, the study that we're doing. So I, I thought it would be good to do a little bit of a refresher of what we've seen in Romans so far. Not the entire book, that would be really lengthy, but let's just think about Romans chapter 8, uh, this chapter we picked up in the middle of. What, what have we seen in Romans 8? A reminder. First, we saw that the gospel is by nature Trinitarian, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all have a part to play in this glorious work of the good news of the gospel. The Father initiates it, the Son accomplishes the work of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit, he takes that work of the gospel and he applies it to your life so that it becomes yours. 
And then Romans 8 continues on, and, and what it does is it actually sort of puts a, a telescope on the work of the Holy Spirit. And it says, okay, let's not just keep it vague with the Spirit applying the gospel, but let's begin to talk about what that means. What does the Spirit, what does he actually do? And so the last sermon I preached before this little hiatus um, we talked about the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, like he actually comes and makes his home in our heart, in our spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit sort of transforming our minds so that all of a sudden we're looking at all things through the lens of God's truth. Even pizza, if you remember my example from all those weeks ago, which the next week Tony Scott got up and talked about it being bad pizza. I never said bad pizza. It's just that Tony happens to know which delivery service I use, so she made a judgment. Shout out to Domino's, anybody? Yes, Richard. Listen, Domino's has changed their ingredients in recent years, guys. Give it another try. I promise you won't be disappointed. Oh, huh. I need, uh, this is going to make me upset. I need to keep going here. So the spirit renewing our minds to see all things through the lens of God's truth. But then also the spirit, even though our body, our flesh is wasting away, the Holy Spirit makes it so that our heart, our inward man is being renewed day by day, becoming more and more alive. Those are some of the ways that the Holy Spirit applies the work of the gospel that we talked about before. But those aren't the only ways. And in fact, as Romans 8 continues, it begins to lay out more ways in which the Spirit applies the gospel. And there's a big one that's highlighted today that we're going to focus on, and it's generally known by one single word that's kind of an old-fashioned word, not used a lot these days. But I think I have it up here on the slide. Mortification. You guys ever use that word, mortify? Chances are some of you guys do sometimes, but probably in a little bit of a different way than how it's used the theologically. So what do we mean when we say, I was mortified? What, what are we saying generally when we say that? Embarrassed, I saw, or hurt. What'd you say, Al? Devastated, yeah, that could be some of it. Embarrassed, devastated, ashamed maybe. Anything else? Shocked, yeah, that's one that came up this morning. Yeah, so generally speaking, when we use that word mortify, we're talking about these kind of <gasps> moments. And, and not just any, we're not just kind of embarrassed or kind of shocked, but deeply embarrassed. In fact, one of the things I looked at this week when I was just sort of seeing the dictionary thing for mortification, uh, the, the example they gave is, I was so embarrassed I could die. That was part of the way they got at what mortified. And that's an intense way of putting a sentence, so embarrassed I could die. And yet that dying part is actually the bit of this that sort of connects the way that we use mortify back to its history, its origin. So the Latin word that this comes from literally means to kill or to murder. And then later it moved into Old English and the way that we have it now with mortification, and it means, like you see up there on the screen, to put to death. 
So when we talk about being embarrassed, but I was mortified, we say, I was so embarrassed I could die, it sort of harkens back to what the word initially meant. And when the old theologians talked about the mortification of the flesh, what they meant is putting to death sin, idolatry, selfishness, greed, the things that are out of keeping with God's truth. Now, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Look back with me at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put to death. That's our definition for mortify, right? Mortification is the work of the Holy Spirit putting to death, mortifying, extinguishing things that are out of keeping with your new life in Christ. The old addictions, the old slavery we were in to sin, the old brokenness that we lived in, the idolatry, the greed, the selfishness, the Holy Spirit puts an end to that. And it's a process. It doesn't happen all at once, but he is slowly but surely transforming us so that those things are killed off. And what remains is life in him and the Spirit. Now, back in May, I gave this metaphor about when the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He comes into our heart. He comes into our lives. And instead of, like, just sort of being a guest in our house where he goes up to his room and locks the door, he actually comes in and he begins to renovate our life. He begins to put a fresh coat of paint on the wall. And he begins to do some deep cleaning on those places, like, under the refrigerator where you never clean. Or at least I never do. I hope that's not gross to you, but it's just hard. The Holy Spirit does that. He comes in and he begins to transform things. But now maybe what we could do with this metaphor is we could sort of say it a little bit differently. When the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart, he shows up as the bug man. He shows up ready to set those traps for the rats in your basement. And he shows up with his sprayer to get around the eaves and in the attic for all those spider webs. And, and he flips on the light in the kitchen, and when the roaches scurry, he's like, I'm after him. I'm going to get him. He extinguishes the things that don't belong there anymore. And that's what he's doing in our lives. That's his work of mortification. Now, you see up here on the screen, what we're going to do today is sort of break this down into two parts. Uh, we're going to ask, what is mortification, but then also how it's done. And then the, the what part, we've already kind of done a little bit of. We've defined it already, but we're going to be able to elaborate some. So we're going to talk about what it is, how it's done. So let's start with the what. So like I said, we've already kind of covered this a little bit. The Holy Spirit, the what of mortification is putting to death the deeds of the body. That is the, the works of the flesh. But one of the things that you might have noticed as we read the text is that when the Bible describes this work, it describes it in a way that makes it very clear that you are involved. You participate in this work. So uh, look at verse 13. Uh, Brad, I know I'm sending you all around with these slides, but let's go to the one where, uh, let, let's go backwards. There we go. So look at the underlined part. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Who is the subject in that verse? 
what is the subject? That's right. I'm going to pretend like Kevin wasn't in paradise this morning to know the answer. Because I don't remember you answering that confidently this morning, Kevin. (laughs) But he's right. The subject is you. The one that's acting, the one that's doing the, the action is you. And what that means is that, yes, the Holy Spirit, we see him there too. He is the one that empowers the work of the mortification. He's the one that equips us for it. He's the one that initiates and guides and plans it. And yet, you are crucially involved. Your will, your choices, your actions. You're along with him to do this work. Now, It probably seems like a no-brainer, and it probably is like, Josh, why did you even spend time saying that? Of course that's the case. But in my experience as a pastor, when I interact with people, generally what I see is that we fall off the horse one side or the other. And there's some people that fall off the horse by saying, you know what? The work of mortification is all on me. Jesus saved me. Thank you, Jesus. But now I'm on my own to fight sin to kill temptation, to make my life more pleasing to God. That's me and my resources and my strength. On the other hand, there's the group of people that say, no, 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 that's not right. God is sovereign. He is all in control. It's his work to do that. He's the only one with the power to do that. And what we do is we say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming, but uh, you get to work and I'm going to go to the couch and take a nap. Neither of those are the way that the Bible describes this fight against sin. Neither of those are what mortification actually is. What it is, is the Holy Spirit-empowered work that is propelling us, us, to put to death the things that don't have any belonging in our lives anymore. To kind of use the metaphor that we used a second ago, it's like this. The Holy Spirit shows up as the bug man. And he's got his gear ready to spray for spiders and roaches. It's the good stuff. And he's got the expertise of knowing where to look for them and all the the secret spots that they hide. Like he goes underneath the refrigerator, don't you worry. And he has the experience to know how to do it efficiently and well and effectively. And so because of all that, we say, all right, Holy Spirit, you got it. I'm going to go take a nap. And he's like, no, <laughs> no, we do this together. You come with me because you have an active part to play in this. I'm going to give you all that you need. I'm going to direct and guide you. I'm going to propel you into it. But you are the one that I want there right there with me getting rid of these bugs because they don't belong here anymore. If that is the case, and I really do believe it is, that we have this active role to play in mortification, then the thing that we have to acknowledge is this. It's difficult work. It's painful work. It's maybe one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is putting to death the deeds of the body, some of which we have gotten really familiar with and that we kind of love. I thought of it this week almost like exercise. (laughs) Some of y'all weirdos love exercise. 
and you love running like 30 miles for no reason, nobody's chasing you. Like Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian, I'll ask him like, hey man, how was your day? He was like, oh, it was great, I got to go on a run. Like, you got to? Yeah, yuck. When I'm exercising, like from the get-go, my mind, my body, everything is saying, this is terrible, make it stop. (laughs) And my body gives witness to that, doesn't it? So, you know I'm telling the truth. Well, I I have said that I want more amens during the sermon, so that's what I asked for. (laughs) All right, come back to me, everyone. Let's not let this train totally be derailed. So the exercise, it is awful feeling. And everything in me is wanting to quit. And I think mortification can be a lot like that. We're putting to death these sins and these idolatries in our life that many of us have grown to love over the time. They almost feel like extensions of ourself. Like when you actively are trying to make it, you know, James talks about how with the same tongue that we sing praises to our God and King, then we go and curse our neighbor. When we actively begin trying to put to death gossip and slander and talking behind somebody's back or talking boastfully and pridefully, we begin to see just how much a part of our life that has become. And it hurts. And we'd rather just leave it be. Or or how about this? I'll name the elephant in the room that so many men and women, young and old, deal with today. Pornography and lust. That for some, that's become like a cornerstone of their life, their sexuality and who they are. And the Holy Spirit's saying, let's put that to death. And it's like, no, that's part of me. It hurts. It's difficult. It requires striving when we want to give up. And yet, in those moments where we're ready just to Say, I need to leave this alone. I can't fight this anymore. I just need to give in. The Holy Spirit is there saying, come on, let's go. These things don't belong here anymore. And thank God the Holy Spirit tells us that. Because the reality is that even though we will believe that it's no big deal, or I don't need to fight this battle, or, you know, this is only for the really super Christians or the saints out there, That is all lies. Because the truth is, if we allow sin to remain untouched in our life, if we allow it to fester and grow, it has disastrous consequences. It damages our relationships. It hurts our, our thoughts and our faith. It feeds addictions. It can ruin lives. This is what the the text is getting at in verse 13 when it says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you allow the flesh to remain and to take over, it brings death. And so it leads us to say, and this is, I couldn't remember who said this, but an old Puritan author that wrote once, be killing sin or it will be killing you. There's no middle ground there. Either we're fighting it or it's actively fighting against our soul and our life and our good. 
thank God for the Holy Spirit's ministry of mortifying what shouldn't be there and putting to death the things that are out of keeping with who we are in Christ. Now, how do we do that? Uh Uh-oh, we just lost the screen. Um, Oh, there it is. Maybe that means I went too long on that point. The screensaver came on. How it's done. Well, let's finish there. I, I told the folks up in paradise this morning, that my mind went all over the place this week of, of giving sort of practical helps with how it is that we as people fight this difficult battle of mortification. I wanted to talk about accountability partners and groups. I wanted to talk about avoidance, how it's good to, to, to make sure that you're living your life in a way that's not, you know, unduly putting you in the path of temptation. I wanted to talk about scripture memory and knowing the word well, the, the time and prayer, all these spiritual disciplines that go in and equipping us to do this work of mortification, all of which would have been very, very worthwhile to spend our time in. And yet... That's not the stuff that our scripture today highlighted. If you notice, the back half of our scripture today gave us something else that the Holy Spirit helps us with when it comes to mortification. And it's this, your adoption. Who you are as a beloved son or daughter of the Most High God. That is how at base we go about the work of mortification. So look at this, verse 15. I've got this underlined for us now. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit's job is to be like an alarm that won't turn off, that is just constantly going around and saying, you're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the most high God. You're a beloved child of God himself. Like last week, I wasn't with you guys because I was up in Lake Almanor. I was with some friends up there at a cabin, and one of my friends, I'm not going to name names, but forgot to turn his cell phone alarm off. And even though we were supposed to sleep late that day, it just kept going on loop. And he was a deep sleeper, so he did not wake up with it. And so I'm remembering that as being an an annoyance last Saturday, but here reading the text, I'm like, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He's like that alarm that keeps going off. And and Tim's not going to wake up to turn it off. (laughs) I changed my mind halfway through. Constantly saying, Josh, you're a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. You are now able to cry out, Abba, Father. Do you realize Abba, Father is the way that Jesus addressed his father? And the Holy Spirit is telling that you get that privilege now too. Abba was an Aramaic way of expressing familial love and trust and respect. It's the way that many of us refer to our fathers as dad or papa or fill in the blank, whatever kind of the endearing term it was that you had for your father. For me, it was looking my dad in the eye and saying, dad, that's 
when it was the most powerful. That's what Abba means here. And you get to address the, the God that made the entire universe as your dad. The work of mortification and the work of adoption go hand in hand. Because what this is saying is that you are called into this work of putting to death the deeds of the body, but the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do it by constantly reminding you that you are a child of God. That's who you are at core. And that that will radically transform your motivation and your desire to see these things not be a part of your life anymore. Think about the dynamics that, that could have been said here. We could have been told, hey, you are to mortify the flesh because you are a slave and the Holy Spirit is the taskmaster, cracking the whip saying, you better do this. That's not what it says. Or to use that debtor phrase to the flesh at the top, we could have said, hey, you are a debtor and the Holy Spirit is the one saying, you better mortify the flesh because you owe me. I've done a lot of good for you. You better pay me back. That's not what it says. Instead, it says... You mortify the flesh because you are a child of God and because your father loves you and you love him. And you know that the old ways of sin don't belong in this family. That new dynamic changes everything. And it gives you the motivation, the, the fuel, the compulsion to do it not out of obligation or trying to pay somebody back, but out of love. That's where the title for today's sermon came from, Mortified by Love. Because that's the thing. It's going to allow you to mortify the old sins, even when it's difficult and hard. Now listen, I know we're going a little bit late today, but I really want to finish by sharing this. Because I think it, 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 it sort of it drives the point home. I've shared with you guys many times in this pulpit that my dad is very sick with Alzheimer's disease. And every time that I go home to Georgia, I spend as many days as possible visiting him. And it's very difficult and very painful. Because sometimes um, my dad is very combative and aggressive, um, even towards me and my mom. And that's hard. And other times my dad um, is like catatonic. He hardly says a word or opens his eyes. And there's always a lot of cleanup, um, which is not easy um, to see or to deal with. And every single one of those visits, I drive away, and it's just emotionally, spiritually, physically exhausting. But I keep going back. Why? It's not because I'm obligated. I wouldn't do it for more than two days if it was just obligation. And it's not because of some sixth sense of trying to pay him back, saying like, oh, my dad fed me when I was younger. He clothed me when I was a boy. Therefore, I owe it to him now. No. I do it because he's my dad and I love him. That is the only way that I could be motivated to keep going back into that situation that is painful and exhausting and makes me cry every time. And I'm sharing that with you because I feel like this is the reason 
that the scripture have put mortification and adoption so close together because it's saying the only way you're going to continue with this work is if you hear the Holy Spirit telling you, you are a child of God. And you do this because you have the love of your father and because you love him. That's the only way we sustain it. And by giving you that, the constant witness that you belong to him as part of his family, you are equipped with the most powerful tool at your disposal in fighting this battle against sin and brokenness and living the new life in Christ. Yeah, we could talk a lot about other practical steps, accountability, avoidance, scripture memory, yes, and we'll do it in the future. But we start with the foundation of the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I heard a whisper to amen. Thank you. What does it mean that I got a louder amen talking about my flabby body <laughs> than the beautiful doctrine of adoption? I'm not going to dwell on that for very long. Now, I know this is kind of an abrupt ending, but we've gone long. We need to go to the table, so I think I'm going to end there and say a prayer for us as we prepare for communion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that he dwells in us, and thank you for what he has to say, the testimony that we are sons and daughters of the most holy God. Lord, let us hear his voice today, this evening. Even as we take communion, let, let us hear his testimony. And let us propel us and inspire us and motivate us to be killing sin so that it won't be killing us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to have our elders come up and help me serve. You'll notice we have the table way over here. Last time I had it um, at kid height, and that was a disaster. So we put it up here this time, so we'll get set up this way. But in just a moment, once we get set up, we're going to ask you guys to come forward and grab one of the elements. We have bread, we have juice, but then we also have a special plate that has gluten-free crackers on it if you'd like to do that instead. And as you come through the line, you'll take uh, one of the elements, the juice, the bread, and then if you would, take it back to where you're sitting and hold on to it because we're going to take the supper together all as one body once everybody's been served. But I will say this as a reminder, this meal, it only makes sense in the context of covenant. It only makes sense in the context of you as a follower of Jesus, believing in him as your Lord and Savior. So if you're a baptized believer following Jesus, I invite you to take this meal. Even if you're struggling, even if you're fighting sin like we talked about today, this meal is for you to encourage you, to strengthen you, to let you know that you're a child of God. If you're here visiting and you're not a believer in Jesus, listen, we are glad you are here. And I hope you come back many, many times. And ultimately, I hope you become a believer and follower of Jesus. But I'd ask that you not take this meal until you're ready to commit your life to him. Because that's when this meal begins to make sense in that context of covenant. 
So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to ask, I don't know who's here, so elders and your wives, if you could come forward, and if we need your help, uh, you'll be here ready to go. So if you could do that while I pray, and let's do it. Lord, please, I pray that you would bless this bread, this wine, and you would use it, Lord, to show us that you spiritually feed us, that you, you give us what we need as followers of Jesus, to mortify the flesh, to follow you, to live to newness of life. Remind us of that and show us that in this meal. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus.